Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Luther Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season to all of you this Thursday, June the 16th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 17. Yesterday we had a great discussion and study with Jason Bredesen, speaking about circumcision, what does this all mean, and today we continue in that same chapter to speak about a new name, um, to speak about the real for Sarah, let's just say it that way, um, to speak about the covenant and for them to know that this promise that was given to them is not something that was just kind of a, a promise that you and I could make, where you're never quite sure if it will come true. But this promise comes from the Lord Yahweh. And that means not only is it true, but it's going to happen and the many nations will be blessed. We'll find out more about those blessings this day. Open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back Pastor David Jewell of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin. Pastor Jewell, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Brady. God bless you. It's so good to be back on Thy Strong Word again with you. Oh, it's a joy to have you. It's been a little while since you've um, been on Thy Strong Word, and there's been some changes for you and your family where you are currently serving. So tell us about that, where you are, and maybe update on your family. Yeah, sure. Back at uh, the end of October, I received a call to uh, St. Peter's Lutheran Church here in Arlington, Wisconsin. I had previously served in northern Illinois and Moments, Illinois, and I accepted that call, and we moved up here the end of January, the day we moved into the parsonage here in Arlington, it was 17 below zero. Oh, and <laughs> the movers said they had moved in colder temperatures before, can you believe it? And uh, <clears throat> I started my ministry here January 30th, and it's uh, it's been an adventure, to say the least, a much larger congregation than where I was in northern Illinois. And uh, it's an interesting location here. I'm about half an hour north of Madison, the state capital. And about 35 minutes or so southeast of Wisconsin Dells, which, if you know anything about the state of Wisconsin, you know that is like the tourist hub of the state. So many water parks and hotels and resorts in that area. So our uh, location kind of in between those two places really helps us out. It's uh, uh, They call it the high prairie around here. We had some beautiful elevation change not too far from the driftless region with the beautiful bluffs as you get closer to the Mississippi River. It's a gorgeous area. My family's acclimating. Uh, happy to be here and happy to be on the radio and on the World Wide Web with you today. Oh, what a joy to have you back. And and just a reminder for you, our listeners, that you know there's always transition periods for pastors and church workers, especially this time of year. You have teachers who maybe graduated, teachers getting calls. You have commissioned workers getting calls. Pray for their families. Us as pastors, you know, we kind of jump head forward into our uh, new call and our families are kind of sitting there like, well, what do I got? Because they're not the ones interacting each and every day. So pray for their families, pray for that acclimation, pray for people to take them out to eat and to show them around and those kind of situations for all of our church workers out there. And Lord, and, 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 and we also pray that the Lord will bless our time. So Pastor Jewel, can you begin our time in prayer? Be happy to. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, like Abraham, you have given us many precious promises, especially the promise of eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. You promise to be present in your holy word that proclaims our salvation. Bless our study of your word today, written under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may learn more of your promises and praise your holy name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any uh, questions concerning our text today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, how we're going to start this morning is that we're going to read all of the text uh, that we have assigned, which is Genesis 17, 15 through 27. As I mentioned before, it's a unique place in Scripture, something that many people kind of know some of these dynamics, and as Pastor said so well um, in your prayer, it is full of promises. And I think about this quite often, is that we all need promises that we know will come true. (laughs) Because how many times in your life has someone said, oh, I promise, and you always in the back of your mind wonder if it will be. And today we hear of God's unending and always truthful promises that we have in, in him, but also in the Messiah himself. So let us hear the words here this morning. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born into the house, and those brought with money from a foreign foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is our text today, the word of our Lord. Pastor, we could really get caught up in those last few verses. How do we stay on track to see the promises that our Lord gives in these verses? The whole business of circumcision, yeah, it can take you down a side road that could, we, you could be on that topic for months on this program and probably never come to the bottom of the whole thing. I remember uh, in my first call in Southern Illinois, uh, the pastors in one of the circuit meetings there 
uh, groups of pastors who get together and we, we study God's Word once a month and visit with each other and encourage each other. And I can remember that that, that was a topic that was very, uh, very discussed with great vigor at that time, circumcision and uh, wanting to know uh, more about that and does it serve uh, to talk about, to, you know, as a preparation for holy baptism and that sort of thing. You can really get, go down a number of rabbit trails with that. But what, <clears throat> what we really want to look at here uh, is, is the promise that God makes to Abraham, first of all, in changing Sarai's name to Sarah, and secondly, that the promise of the Redeemer will not come through Ishmael, the son that he had with his handmaid, but the child that Sarah will bear at the age of around 90 years old that causes Abraham to laugh out loud, ultimately Sarah to laugh out loud. And as we see with the name Isaac, well, Isaac means laughing boy. He laughs. Mm -hmm. And so the kid was born with laughter. And that's maybe something I'm sure we're going to talk about in just a little bit here. But the focus is, again, on that promise, the promise that God makes to Abraham, the promise specifically that from him, from his family, will come Messiah, the Savior of the nations, the one who will set right what was put wrong in the garden some 14 chapters before. And let me let me start with this. There there's a lot of preaching points we could use with the changing of Abram's name to Abraham, Sarai's name to Sarah. How would you uh, teach that and speak about the significance of the changing of names and what that means for us? Yeah, the name Sarah uh, means princess and Martin Luther in his Genesis lectures, brings up an interesting twist to this, and I'd like to know where he got it from, but yeah, he probably knows the, the languages a little better than you and I do, especially <laughs> since he was an Old Testament scholar. Sarah, not only does it mean princess, but Luther says it, you can also get out of that word Sarah in Hebrew to rule, to wrestle, to overcome, to triumph, and he hears in Sarah the name Israel, which, of course, means to wrestle with God, and that is the name that is given to Jacob, and, and we'll get to that then in a few days when we get a few chapters more into Genesis here. So we're dealing here, Luther says, Sarah is a female wrestler, a pugilist, a mistress, a princess because she is the one who will bear the child with whom and from whom the lineage of Messiah will come. And you can trace it down through Jacob, ultimately down into uh, all, of, all of the families that follow after him. And it's, it's one of the three great promises that God makes Abraham. Uh, from your family will come the, the Savior of the nations. And so I, I guess that's one way I would look at that name change is here we have someone who is a princess, uh, some, someone from whom this princess will come ultimately, the Prince of Peace. Wow, that's, uh, you, you gave us more than I bargained for. That is phenomenal. Because um, you look at that, <laughs> there is that wrestling that you definitely see with Sarah as she's 
you know, I'm 90 years old. Are you going to tell me I'm going to have a child? Uh, there's the laughter piece for both Abraham and Sarah when they find out they will be with child. And it, it means a lot, too, because one of my dear friends named his son Isaac. And what he would always do with his son Isaac is he would tickle him on the on, under the neck and say, hey, what's your name? What's your name? And the, the and then his son would just laugh. And it was just so much joy. And you think about that joy that would have been there for Abraham and Sarah when Isaac was born. So anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Pastor, any other background or thoughts you have before we start digging in a few verses? Um, I mean, there, there is so much here. And I, I think it's good that in just a moment, I'm, and maybe you've already considered it, Brady, because we haven't talked about this beforehand too much, but... Maybe the one thing, too, we can think about in our discussion here today is looking ahead even into the New Testament, where St. Paul kind of brings up this whole thing in Romans chapter 4. I don't know if you have Mm -hmm. that plan to talk about today, but that's something good that we can possibly look at today. Those verses in Romans 4 where St. Paul brings up the whole idea of the barrenness of Sarah's womb and the fact that Abraham... Uh, even in his laughter, Sarah, even in her laughter, still clings to the word that was spoken to them and believed in it, and it was reckoned to them as righteousness. Mm. Well, I tell you what, I do have that written down, and if we were to miss it, shame on us. So let's start digging (laughs) in as we look at our text today. We'll be beginning verse 15, and we'll go through 17. There's quite a bit just in those few verses. We'll begin. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And we're, oh, I'm going to stop there because there's a few things that happen here. And once again, we see the laughter piece. But, Pastor, where do you want to begin? Um, laughter. <clears throat> so often, maybe we look at this and we think Abraham is laughing because he can't believe what he's heard. Because we know how the human body works. When a woman reaches a certain age in life, she no longer is able to bear children. Sarah has gone beyond that age, and yet the Lord God speaks to Abraham and says, guess what? Your wife, whose name used to be Sarai, we now call her Sarah, and she's going to give birth to a child. Abraham already knows that he's given birth to a son named Ishmael through another way, and he figures, well, maybe Ishmael will be the one who gets the blessing. No, no, not Ishmael. The Lord will take care of him, temporally speaking. But Sarah is going to give birth to this child, and this child will be the heir. And it's like we can say that maybe it's laughter of disbelief, but we could also maybe say it's just laughter for joy in the fact that he's like, can you believe that God would go to this length to keep his promise? to do something that is not of this world, that's not in the way that the human body works. And yet, and yet, it will happen. And Abraham clings to that, even in laughter. Sarah will cling to that, even in laughter. 
that this laughing boy will come forth from her womb and he will carry on the promise that's made to Abraham here in, uh, in these wonderful words, I will bless her. I will give you a son by her. And he says a second time, I will bless her just as God blessed Adam and Eve in the garden in chapter one, when he looks at them both and says, be fruitful and multiply. And that's exactly what is going to happen here. Almost like disbelief for joy. I know that's kind of an odd saying, Brady, but maybe we've even caught ourselves in that as sometimes as Christians. When, when God somehow works something in our life and, and we think that, boy, he wouldn't do a thing like that. And yet he does. And we just kind of catch ourselves saying, goodness, can you actually believe it? But yeah, it's happened. And what joy it's brought me to. And what joy it is. Like you said, bringing it all back to Christ. You put on those Christ goggles. It is through Isaac that the lineage leads to our Savior, um, which connects us to Abraham. I mean, we are children of Abraham by faith. This obviously points us to the passages you've already mentioned and to Hebrews. Um, and at the same time, it really is that unique um, disbelief and joy at the same time. The disbelief of how is this possible, which I think often we might fall off the side of the horse that we're like, well, they didn't believe. But when, when we are shocked by the love of God, when we are shocked by the way that God does things in this world, there's a little bit of disbelief. It's not because we don't believe God would do it, but we kind of, we just kind of lose track from time to time. And what joy there is when you see that, whether it's like an adult baptism or, or even Confirmation Sunday or a wedding where the couple is both committed to the Lord, all these kind of actions that you are almost sit in disbelief, but at the same time, you're full of joy. And for them, even more so, because they're literally talking to the Lord, their God. So I, I get it, but guess what? I don't get it because it is even beyond our comprehension. Pastor, anything else in those verses? That's the way it is this side of paradise. I, mm-hmm. I preached a sermon a while back to the congregation here where I talked about how how the Lord grows the Christian church in spite of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And he leaves it into the hands of sinful people to, uh, to spread the good news about Jesus in this ever-widening circle all around the world. And uh, there are times when I think we feel like uh, maybe maybe the church is going to end at some point and it's going to be our fault. And then we turn right around and, and uh, hear these promises that we're hearing today, and it feels like we want to run through a brick wall for our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the way it is this side of paradise. Uh, sinners who are redeemed in the blood and righteousness of our Lord and always kind of waxing and waning between those things, and yeah, maybe catching ourselves laughing in disbelief for joy. So with that disbelief and joy, we continue on. Uh, Pastor, ready to move on? Yes. All right, so verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that is Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I'll make him into a great nation. 
but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. This is kind of, this almost turned into an awkward moment, you know, where Abraham says, oh, good, you know, God bless Ishmael. This is just great. And then God says, no. <laughs> it could have turned into a very awkward moment at that point, like, no. Wait, you're not even going to bless? What? He's my son. What's going on here? But then it, it, it turns into, once again, the promises that our, God, our Lord gives to both Ishmael and to Isaac and to his parents. How, how do you want to break that down? And if you think that's awkward, imagine how it's going to be when ultimately uh, in a few chapters, when Isaac is born, uh, the Lord God's going to come back and say, you're going to have to send Hagar and Ishmael out the door. Right, uh, I right. mean, how awkward mm. must that be? But it it shows us what happens when we take matters into our own hands and think, well, the Lord is going to be slack on his promises now, and so I've got to take over for him. And no, the Lord will do things his way. His way often seems to us like it's backwards, uh, maybe left-handed in sort of a way, but it's the Lord's way, and this is the way he has it set up. And so, yeah, immediately he's like, boy, wouldn't it be nice if Ishmael could get a piece of this? Well, Ishmael will have his future, and the Lord will see to that. Uh, we hear more about Ishmael later on in Genesis. So I'm sure we'll hear about that when the time is right. And uh, the Lord will continue to bless him, temporally speaking. He will be blessed. There is the promise that he will have 12 princes that he will be father of. So there is something good there for him as well, but the lineage will not be through Ishmael. The lineage will come through this child that is yet to be born. The true heir will be born to him from Sarah. And that's why he is so full of joy and, and, and wishes that it, it could happen in his way. But this is going to happen in the Lord's way and in the Lord's good time. And it also shows the providential care here, too, of our Heavenly Father. Uh, even someone who is uh, not going to be the heir of the Savior will be taken care of and will be watched out for. And so um, it, it, and that, it kind of explains what, um, but I'm sure you'll get to that when you get to Genesis chapter 21, where you can talk about Galatians chapter 4, so I won't, I won't give that away right now. But still, what, what I will say to it, though, is um, the good Lord takes care of his people, even his people for whom he has given a different promise than for those he has promised other things. And that's where it, it is interesting how we look at verse 20. Now, it's very clear that for Ishmael and Hagar, this is not an easy road. And the road with through Ishmael was not exactly a real faithful road either. So we're not about to make it sound like, well, that's just a different manifestation of God where Ishmael went. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ink spilt on what that all means as far as other religions and so forth. I don't want to go into that, but it does show that that God is one who will bless his people and the promises are there for them. Those promises are there for us. And I think this is important as well. One time I was listening to a, a, a pastor speak, and he spoke about how uh, one of his members had a child out of wedlock. And one of the situations that happened is that 
they were able to, you know, go through confession absolution. They were able to go through that whole process with this young lady and the father. But the emphasis was over and over again, this child is not sinful. And he, he made an emphasis. I'm not saying the child is not sinful. Obviously, he's sinful. But this child is a gift. Let's remember that. This is not a child that does not have meaning or does not have purpose. That does not one redeem because that child was baptized. But it, it just it was important to be able to look at the sins we need to repent over, and then that forgiveness is real. So let's move on with the joy and blessings that the Lord gives. Pastor, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I always think about those kind of scenarios when we look at Ishmael and, and Isaac and how quickly we can tend to go fall off the other side of the horse, like I mentioned before. What this reminds us is ever to focus on what God has to say to us rather than trying to take his word into our hands and try to manipulate it and make it look good for me or for somebody else, for pastors, this is a great temptation that we attempt to try to take the Word of God and control the people for whom we are given the care of their souls. And that's not what that Word is there for. That Word is there for us to pay attention to, to listen to, as a light shining in the darkness, because that Word reveals to us the great things that God has done, how he has intervened in the history of the world, and how this cosmic thing that comes from outside of ourselves, the birth of the Savior, comes into place, and how God is willing, like I said, to change the course of human history to keep that promise, to make it happen. It's all over the Old Testament where we can see where God does these uh, miraculous things to keep that promise straight and to keep that word that he made, that he first made to our fathers, to Abraham and to his children forever. We want to talk more about that because that is exactly the foundation of everything we read today. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 17 with Pastor David Jewell and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 17 with Pastor David Jewell of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin. Now, Pastor, I'm sure all of our guests are wondering about this because this is very important stuff. You are moving right next to the University of Wisconsin. Does this mean now that you have bought all your Badger gear and you are now a Badger fan? What do you What do you think? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I, um, I'll say this, 
<laughs> uh, being a Big Ten fan for all athletics, I've, I've tended to root through the years for the University of Illinois because I had some family members that attended there. I had an uncle and a couple of cousins that went there. And I'm a Southern Illinois University Carbondale graduate, yep, yep. proud Saluki. And uh, I, I'll say this, I am keeping a close eye on Bucky, as the locals call the University of Wisconsin here, Buckminster Badger, and just kind of taking a look at things. And we had some fun at the end of the basketball season when Illinois and Wisconsin went right down to the end and shared the Big Ten crown. And, sure. and uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to football season this year. Illinois is persistently rebuilding in college football. Wisconsin has a nice, strong tradition in that at Camp Randall Stadium. So I'm, I'm, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and, and the same with professional football. Having grown up in Illinois most of my life and now moving into the heart of Packer country, I've been told, you know, keep the sermons a little shorter during the football season and things <laughs> like that. So <laughs> we'll see how it all goes down when the time comes. I'm, oh. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, what a joy that is. What a joy that is. So, so Pastor, I think right now might be a decent time. You let me know to go to Romans 4. Would that be a good time now? That'd be a great time. Let's All right. do it. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Once again, as we speak about constantly, continuously is a better word, here on KFUO and Thy Strong Word is Scripture interprets Scripture, and it all points us to Christ, and boy, did God work through Paul by the Holy Spirit to make that true? So let's go to Romans chapter 4. Where do you want to start with this, Pastor? Let's look at, start at verse 19. That's a good place to start. Okay, verse 19. Do you want me to read that till the end? Go right ahead. All Sorry, right. I'm just waiting for the user. I know, I'm <laughs> trying to lead you. I'm trying to look here at the same time. So Romans chapter go for 4, it. verse 19, we'll go till the end. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours also. If It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Oh my, what powerful words. Pastor, start us off with these words. The one thing you have to realize about St. Paul is the guy was a rhetorical genius. Mm. He was trained as a Pharisee. He had the zeal of a Pharisee. And the guy knew his scriptures very well. And you see that play out through all of his letters. Uh, When, when As I mentioned before the break, uh, when we get to the expulsion of Hagar and Ishmael in a few chapters, uh, Paul brings that up in Galatians chapter 4. Here, though, we're in Romans chapter 4, as we're still considering the second half of Genesis chapter 17, and Paul brings in what we are talking about today when he mentions that Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, in the fact that God made a promise to him, and it made him laugh, out loud, which of course gives us the name Isaac too. He laughs. Mm-hmm. 
and Sarah even laughing about it herself, but he still trusted in God, fully convinced, Paul says, that God was able to do what he had promised, and that is why he had this reckoned or counted to him as righteousness, and not only counted to him, but by faith, the fact that we Gentiles are grafted into the vine of righteousness. Abraham is our father too. So what is reckoned to Abraham as righteousness is also reckoned to us as well, who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. Abraham clings to that promise as well, as well as the promise that he will have an heir, and his heir will be born of a woman who is 90 years old. This is the work of God at play, and Paul uses this example at the end of chapter 4 of his letter to the Romans to talk about the promise and how this promise is realized through faith. And that's a, a thread that runs through the whole book of Genesis. All of these, not only generations of families that we hear about in the book of Genesis, but also the thread of promises, the chief promise being the one that God lays down in Genesis chapter 3 about the coming of Messiah, the sent one, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the nations, and how God will keep that promise on one man's family, and that man's name is Abraham. Uh, there's so much. There's so many connections. I love the language that is continually used by Paul in Romans. Clearly, Luther would have liked Romans because of all this counted to him as, as righteousness by faith. And verse 25 really brings it all back together. The promise that Abraham and Sarah lived, or believed the same promise that we believe. So a common question that people ask is, okay, all right, all right, we were saved by Jesus. All right, we're saved by Jesus. What about the Old Testament people? Do they just not go because they didn't know about Jesus? And this is where you're able to connect all of this to say you have that same promise as Abraham because you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And guess what Abraham believed? The promise of the Messiah to come and we are delivered from our trespasses and raised up for our justification. I mean, that word just brings us to the understanding of we are fully justified on account of Christ. Abraham was, and so are we. The connections are everywhere. So full, as you said in the prayer, which I think it just runs through all of this, so many promises. Pastor, anything else in Romans 4? It also puts me in mind of John chapter 8. Mm -hmm. uh, and we hear that, uh, those of us who preach the one-year cycle of readings get to hear that uh, every Lent, where uh, he looks at, at uh, some of the Jews and he says, Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. And they couldn't even believe that he would say that. You know, Abraham lived thousands of years ago and you're not even 30, 30 years old and you're saying, you saw Abraham? And then Jesus drops the mic when he says, before Abraham was, I am which lets them know, um, I am God. I am his very son. I not only saw Abraham, I am the word that was spoken to Abraham in which he trusted and in which that promise is fulfilled. Take a look. This is the fulfillment of the promise right here, guys. Me. It's, it, it all, it's so rich. This is so rich. And Paul brings it out, and even our Lord Jesus brings it out. And this all is given to us through faith, faith in a promise. 
as we go back, is it should we go back now? I mean, we even went to Romans eight, which is which is another great connector for us mm-hmm. when it comes to Abraham, which we could dig into that more. But should we go back to Genesis, or uh, do you have more do you want to connect with? All right, all right, here we go. Back to Genesis chapter seventeen. We have gone through verse twenty one, and here I want to ask this question because this is important because many of our listeners. Many of you listen all the way through. You're like those the, the kind of people that Genesis 1, I'm going to listen, and I'm not going to listen to future ones, but many of our listeners are ones that just listen a little bit here and there. In verse 21, it says, But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. I think of a covenant. How would you describe a covenant? We hear the language all over the place in the Old Testament. How would you describe that? Because it's probably different than what we think of covenants in our world today. Right, yeah, and oftentimes we we hear uh, experts on the Holy Scriptures talk about three different kinds of covenants. And I, we could probably do a whole show simply on the three different kinds of covenants. So many times when we hear the word covenant, we think, okay, one party does one thing and the other party does another thing. So it's like a, it can be a 50-50 thing. It can even be an 80-20 thing sort of, uh, sort of understanding. With some covenants, however, there is one particular covenant in which the person who makes the covenant, or to use the, uh, the Hebraic term, cuts the covenant. He cuts a covenant that says, I am going to be the one to dictate the terms of this covenant. And not only that, I am going to be the one who's going to do all of the heavy lifting to make this covenant happen. And I'm not going to keep all of the results of this to myself. I'm going to give it to you. Mm. <clears throat> That's the covenant that is made to Abraham when, our, when, our, when, they, when he cuts up the animals and passes through the pieces. Yeah. and says, uh, I've made this covenant to you, and it's going to come true. That's the covenant that God makes with Abraham in this case. God's going to do all the heavy lifting. He's going to be the one to make it all happen. All that Abraham has to do is sit and watch it happen. And God is not going to hog all of the spoils of doing this covenant He's going to give all the spoils to Abraham, and not just Abraham, but to Abraham's family. Abraham is not going to live to see the results of this, but he believes that the results will be such to where it will involve him, and it does. That is what comes to mind when we're thinking of covenant in this understanding. Uh, I believe the word for it is a patron covenant sometimes it's called so when we hear covenant sometimes we hear it with ears that want to say well i've got a chance to help god out here i've got a chance where i can i can do my part and he does his part not dealing with your salvation however god makes the terms god sets the terms god fulfills the terms but he doesn't keep everything to himself he hands it all to you Mm. a child of abraham by faith in believing that promise that he made to save you from everlasting death. And I think all we can say to that is amen. 
And amen. Amen. And amen to that. As is said to us, you know, in Romans 4, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Um, it just it just shows a full meal deal. I love to say that language. Full meal deal <laughs> coming down to us. And I might actually go to McDonald's after we're done. Almost sounds program. like lunchtime. Yeah, it is. Boy, yeah, what boy. time is it here? Yeah. Anyways, so Pastor... Um, let's get, I'm, I'm ready to get to the next section. We have a little bit of time here to be able to make sure we get this correct. Are, are you good to go and get to the rest? Let's roll. Let's All right. At the end of chapter 17, very important for us to be able to speak correctly about verse 22 through 27. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in the house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of the house, those born in the house and those who were bought with money from foreigner, were circumcised with him. We just went from three amens to, I think, three ouches among all of our listeners here today. So, Pastor, Mm -hmm. once again, how do you keep us focused on what the Lord is pointing us to in this? This goes back to uh, what has been talked about in previous programs Mm -hmm. where the idea of circumcision happens. And God says, if you're going to be mine, here's what you're going to do. This is the sign that everyone will know that you are one of mine and that you are a child of this promise. You're going to be circumcised. So after they have, after the Lord and Abraham have this discussion about the birth of an heir and the fact that it's not going to come through Ishmael, but it's going to come through this child that is yet to come, Abraham then uh, reckons that it's a good idea to do as the Lord has asked him to do. And so he uh, takes every male of that house and circumcises them, cuts off their foreskins, just as God has said to him. And at the age of 99, now granted, people at that time lived a lot longer than they do today. But man, 99 years old and even 13 years old, this is a, uh, it's a painful procedure to go through as it is. And that's why we do it when children are very, very young, newborn. Uh, males who who are, are are that have that happen uh, for the for the Jewish people later this happened on the eighth day and that eighth day was when you were brought to uh, be circumcised and even our Lord Jesus himself that happens to him he too is circumcised on the eighth day and he submits himself to the law for our sake in order to fulfill the law. So what we see here is Abraham reckoning that what, is, what God has asked him to do, he will do so that he can be recognized as a child of the promise. And it fascinates me that even Ishmael, his son, even though the lineage will not go through him for Messiah, he still is circumcised because he belongs to the house of Abraham. And so this is what happens. We we know that um, these sort of things uh, happened at that time among other uh, 
cultures, but our Lord here takes a practice that's known in other cultures and makes it good by adding that promise to it. You are my child. And to show that you are my child, to show that this covenant is for you, you're going to be circumcised. You're going to stand out from those who are around you. And yeah, you're right. Like we have to get past the logistics, the logistics of pain, Mm -hmm. the logistics of, you know, what do you mean? He's buying people in those days. Um, We can easily get caught up in that dynamic. What really is happening is this promise was not just for a select few, but that promise was for all in that household. Um, Very clearly that that was a connection of faith. It was for an invitation of those outside of, quote, the lineage, because these were people that were, you know, workers, servants um, in his household. So to me, I've always found it fascinating when you look at the Old Testament, and this is something that Dr. Henry Rowald spoke about a lot during our seminary days, or my seminary days, is that the evangelistic nature of the scriptures was not all of a sudden found in Matthew 28, but it was a major part of everything of God's people. That that promise was not just for a select lineage, but it was for, for those outside the lineage. Um, it, was, it was a promise that was there even for Ishmael, who could be considered to be outside of the scope, and other people as well. So that the, 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 if you lose the connection of the promise, then it is simply an act or something you do outside of faith. But when you see the promise that leads us to Christ, who also was circumcised, by the way, um, leads us to the understanding of the shedding of blood that would be in the future and that would be forgiving all your sins. I don't know, any thoughts on, on that or anything else that we highlighted so far? You took the words right out of my mouth as I was getting ready to say that as well about our Lord. Eight days old, and he's already hard at work keeping the law for you and for me by shedding his blood. And that blood is what covers us and reckons us as righteous before our Father in heaven. So thanks for bringing that up. Hey, I tried to steal your thunder as much as I possibly can. Um, (laughs) That's how it goes here. (laughs) So, Pastor, you had mentioned, and yesterday there was a mention from uh, Pastor Bredesen, speak about the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is very, very clear in its understanding of circumcision and in the right context, especially after Jesus, so any, any other, other books or um, any other connections you want to make as we hear from Genesis 17? Um, <clears throat> well, the, the first connection we've already pretty much taken care of, and that's the connection to our Lord on his eighth day. Mm-hmm. And I guess it puts us in mind of, of our eighth day as Christians, and that is our baptism. Uh, circumcision in a way, is but really isn't kind of that fulfillment of baptism. It's it's sort it's the setting apart of someone for this covenant promise, and we we see that as well. But the uh, Christ fulfills that, of course, in the fulfilling of His law. So I guess the, the one thing I would add to this is uh, living now as those redeemed in Christ Jesus. Uh, we see circumcision is not something that we have to do. We now see uh, that at being made a partaker of the promise happen in baptism. And it's fascinating to me that baptismal fonts usually have eight sides. Mm-hmm. 
that reckons us to that eighth day, uh, the, which we think of the, the, the world was created on six days, and then our, our, our Heavenly Father rests on the seventh day, and then on the eighth day, that new creation begins through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit working through the Word with that water. So um, there are lots of connections we can make to baptism as well. And like I said at the, at the start of the program today, uh, there was a group of pastors that I knew in Southern Illinois that for months we hashed it out in pastors' meetings about those connections and went deep in that. And you, you could do a whole series on that if you wanted to, but uh, you can make connections everywhere. And that, that's the fun of studying such a great book like Genesis is all mm. the connections that can be made into the New Testament. Well, and we can get caught up in just knowing the basic stories. You know, this is something that we read to our children when they're little and there's so many little kids Bible books that we can definitely lose sight of, okay, this Abraham connects us to Jesus as opposed to him being a separate person in the past is that we are connected to him here and now, as you said, in baptism. Now, Pastor, I do want to make this um, connection as well as Galatians chapter 5. So how about we go there? I'm, I'm ready to make that connection. Okay. Is you spoke about the promise in circumcision. So I'm looking at Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. And this is where Paul is very much so, you can tell in, in Gala the region of Galatia, that they are very much so struggling with, okay, so what, what about the circumcision thing? You know, that now, now we've determined that, okay, all right, so I can eat pork. All right, I'm okay with that. All right, so I can eat some pork now. The potluck can be a little more plentiful. Um, I can do a little more on Saturdays, but I'm still kind of nervous about it. And, and then all of a sudden the question of what about Bill over there? He's not circumcised. What do we do with Bill? Uh, I kind of like Bill. I don't know about Bill. Okay. What do we do? So here he really fights hard to point about circumcision, which points us to Genesis, which leads us then to the cross and beyond. He says this for freedom. Christ has set us free. Stand therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you are severed from Christ, you, you would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith Working through love. Now, Pastor, let me let me ask these two questions and and make sure that we're on the same page. If you were just right. to read this alone, and you were to read Abraham and then go back to Genesis, you'd be like, "Well, so circumcision never mattered. Like it was never something of any purpose or meaning. It was something that they didn't even need to do because clearly he says here that it is of no advantage to you." What would you say if someone were to ask that question? Yes, circumcision mattered until Christ. For Christ submitted himself to circumcision for you. And so circumcision now matters in the fact that Christ was circumcised for you. He has fulfilled that for you. And so trusting, as Abraham did, 
in the promise of a son, not only a son named Isaac, but a son who would come later named Jesus, so too we look back and we see by faith that Jesus has fulfilled this for our sake. And so that's why Paul makes this very, uh, very good argument in Galatians chapter 5, and he, he sets it up by in chapter 4 with the example of Hagar and Sarah, which I'm sure you'll get mm-hmm. to in a future chapter in a future program. But it's uh, here, what we see here is what matters is believing. Believing that word, the word that Christ has set us free from having to be circumcised. This is what Abraham was looking forward to in the fact when he was circumcised himself and his entire household, that there's going to come a day when this will all end, and it ends in Christ, who is, for us, our circumcision. And that's, once again, to our listeners, how vital is it and how much fun. I encourage you that when you do study the Word of God, that you take your time. I tend to be a guy who just wants to run through. Okay, all right, chapter 17, just get through this. And then I don't want to take the time to read in the New Testament, but boy, talk about the enrichment that we have when we're able to see the joy of circumcision, what it was pointing to, and for us to be able to look now in the lens of Christ to realize what it's all about. That, that they had the promise, and so do we, and we are able to live in that freedom. Not to do whatever we want, that's very clear from Galatians especially, but to realize that we do so out of the, the faith working through love, which is the love of Christ for you and for me. Pastor, we have about two minutes left in our time. Let's, let me ask you this. How would you summarize these words from Genesis chapter 17 and encourage our listeners in Christ from these words? I'm hustling back there real quick. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Um, We're going back and forth. (laughs) The the comfort and encouragement that I receive from this is a man who, like me, and maybe like you too, Brady, often, and maybe like you listening wherever you are today, there are times when we open up the Scriptures There are times when we are sitting in the pew and listening to the pastor preach to us and to give us Christ and him crucified, and we almost catch ourselves laughing because, first of all, we can't believe for some reason that we are an heir of this promise, especially when we are put into mind of our sins, uh, all of the ways that we have disobeyed God and not heard his word and gladly kept it. And nevertheless, he sends someone to come into our midst, a preacher, a preacher of righteousness, to tell us that Jesus Christ has bled and died for that sin, and that Jesus Christ has made a promise to you in his word that he will save you, a lost and condemned creature. He will save you in Christ. And it's enough to make a person want to laugh out loud. Almost, like I said, that, that laugh of joy for just unbelief, just about, that, that it can happen to someone like you. It happened to someone like Abraham. And it teaches us today to focus our ears ever more on that word. Because 
that's all we have from our Heavenly Father, is that gracious word that speaks us righteous, that um, then draws us into conversation with our Father in Heaven in prayer, and draws us again to His altar to receive His precious body and blood of His Son Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. All of these things He's laid out there for you. And it's enough, again, to make you laugh for disbelief, but it happened to Abraham, too. So don't be afraid. Trust that word that's spoken to you, because everything that the Lord God says to Abraham today, it came true. And everything that our Father has to say to you in his word, these things have come true. And it's not just for everybody. It's especially for you. For it was him who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Pastor David Jewell of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 17. Pastor Jewell, happy Pentecost, and thank you for bringing us his gifts. You're more than welcome. It's good to be with you again. God bless you. I am your host, Brady Fender, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.